Welcome to the Green Element Podcast, where we discuss sustainability in business with market disruptors, business leaders, and innovators. In the process, we strive to help you on your sustainability journey by sharing insights and expertise from organizations from around the world. I'm your host, Will Richardson. Today's podcast is going to focus entirely on lithium, how it's used, why it's used, its impact on the environment, and the role it has to play in our future. With me today is Ali Haji, the CEO and Director of Ion Energy, an early stage lithium brine explorer in Mongolia. Welcome, Ali. Thanks, Well, Pleasure to be here. I'd love to start by asking you to explain in your words what lithium is. Lithium is an element in the periodic table that lends itself very well to the conductivity of electricity. It resides sort of in the lower spectrum of the periodic table and as such uh, allows conductivity to be quite uh, uh, fruitful, if you will. It's used in electric vehicles for batteries. It's used in medication to treat uh, bipolarism. It's used in uh, glass manufacturing to strengthen glass. But its primary use in the world today remains in the electric vehicle industry for the manufacture of batteries. And how do you normally mine for lithium? Lithium is found in a a number of different ways. Uh, The more traditional uh, sort of route to to extracting lithium is through uh, the brine deposits across the world, the vast majority of which reside in the lithium triangle. So Bolivia, Argentina and Chile. They are salaris, so salt flats, and historically speaking, uh, lithium was extracted through evaporation processes, very similar to what you would see in the oil, uh, in the uh, NaCl or or sodium chloride table salt extraction methods. Uh, Beyond that, you find lithium in hard rock, so spodumene or pegmatite. That's a bit more of a complex uh, extraction uh, method. And very recently, we've seen clay deposits uh, come on board, including Thacker Pass in Nevada, which is a Lithium America's uh, project. And you focus extracting lithium from brine rather than extracting lithium from rock spodumene. Why is one better and how? Spodumene is very uh, uh, water and resource intensive. Uh, Hard rock is generally far more resource and uh, water intensive. And uh, what you find is that uh, brine assets use in and around 25% of the required resources to extract lithium as opposed to hard rock. Uh, Clay today is uh, uh, really a, a new a newly known or newly discovered way to extract lithium. And we don't quite understand the the environmental or the uh, ultimate impact or cost for extracting lithium from clays. So brine tends to be more of the traditional uh, extraction resource. We focus on brines because we have seen brines in Mongolia. The geology very much mirrors that of the Atacama. And we're hoping to do it in a very sustainable manner given advancements in technology with respect to lithium extraction. So lithium is a mineral that you're extracting. How recyclable is lithium? We've seen more and more companies come online. In fact, a Canadian company, which I forget the name of, and I'm happy to to sort of send that on for your notes, uh, came on board about uh, a day or two ago, and they were voted one of the top 50 companies in Canada to work for. And the mandate there is purely to to recycle uh, EV batteries and lithium-ion batteries for reuse across the uh, electrification uh, sort of sort of spectrum. So we're seeing more and more uh, recycling companies come on board, and I think that's where we will start to see real gains uh, with respect to sustainability uh, as far as lithium is concerned. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a real game changer, isn't it? Because of the fact that we can reuse and reuse and reuse. Indeed. You know, we, we've come across this uh, environment or, or where we find ourselves today, which is uh, a sense of let's electrify the world, let's ensure the adoption of electric vehicles. Uh, but the thought process surrounding the recycling of those batteries hasn't quite uh, taken shape. And we're now seeing more and more companies come on board that will ultimately recycle these batteries that either last uh, 100,000 miles, if they're the typical uh, sort of NMC batteries that uh, the original testers were based on, or the million-mile batteries that the new sort of LFP batteries that are being produced in Japan are based on, uh, or China that are based on, will allow them to ultimately be uh, recycled and, and uh, turned back into market and product. That's really exciting. I've been reading about organic flow batteries and I've seen that they're as efficient as lithium, but they have and they have a higher capacity range. Why choose lithium over, say, organic flow? So lithium has been around for, for quite some time. Uh, and, and I uh, forget the gentleman's name. That's a, I believe he's a PhD at Oxford, but I, I met him at a conference in Toronto where he spoke about the, the origins of the lithium ion battery back in the 50s. Uh, when they sort of started to produce power and storage from from these uh, chemistries. It, it's a uh, uh, sort of a formula that's worked very well over the course of the last 60, 70 years. It's one that's been tried and tested. It's one that's been approved for use on, uh, on, on our regular transportation routes. And in terms of uh, bringing on new technology, I'm all for it. I believe that we must uh, continue to progress and, and look at uh, alternatives. But something that's been tried and tested, uh, like lithium, has sort of built a foundation uh, where it has the approval, it's shown that it is capable, and it continues to essentially provide the necessary power and range for consumer use, is why lithium continues to succeed. So while these other technologies may have some catching up to do, um, lithium's had that sort of pedigree, if you will. And this is why uh, lithium-ion batteries continue to be successful. And... What are the environmental impacts of mining lithium with your company? I think that I think let's focus in on iron energy here. So ion's a bit different. We're, we're still very early stage. Uh, we started our exploration efforts to better understand the chemical composition of the brines that exist beneath surface. Uh, we're going to do a bit more work to understand the average grade as well as potentially an early resource indication in the coming uh, months, if not uh, the coming quarters. Uh, and that allows us to really dictate uh, or, or better understand, if you will, how much lithium exists in the ground, uh, what sort of uh, chemi chemical composition exists underground. But importantly, uh, I think it's, it's uh, imperative that we speak about the advancements in uh, lithium extraction that exist in the marketplace today. So historically, you might have had uh, what's called uh, evaporation, which is the primary technique for uh, the extraction of lithium in uh, the Salars of uh, the Atacama, for instance. And where Mongolia is situated, or rather where Bavayul, our flagship license, is situated uh, in the Gobi Desert, we have 250 days of sunshine, very high winds. So we could use evaporation as a technique. The challenge with evaporation is that you're pulling up these brine aquifers to surface, you're building evaporation ponds. These evaporation ponds then have to have uh, the vast majority of the water uh, sort of enter the atmosphere and you're extracting from the underground aquifers, so you're affecting the water table. We're now seeing more and more that uh, there are 
technologies in play and in use, including those of the like of lilac technologies that use a uh, ion exchange resin. So you ultimately flow your, um, your your brine across that resin. It extracts the lithium and you pump back about 90% of the water back into the ground. Uh, other solutions include membranes that allow you to separate the lithium from the vast majority of the other elements. And then you pump that water back into the ground as well. So you're putting back between 90 to 95% of the water back into the water table and the aquifer beneath surface. So the extraction methodologies of past are now well beyond where we're operating today. So the environmental impact is quite minimal, if you will. Something that we've read and learned a lot about is the human impacts of mining lithium. And I wouldn't be doing my job properly if I wasn't to ask you, what are the human impacts of mining lithium for you at Iron Energy? Well, for us as a company, we've operated in Mongolia for a number of years. We've uh, continued to put ESG at the top of our mandate uh, well before it was a thing, if you will. Uh, you know, today, institutional funds talk about it and they want to ensure uh, that locals are looked after. They want to ensure that you're, you're checking off all those boxes. In Mongolia, for instance, where we operate, uh, the Baba Yush project, which is our flagship license today, we confer with the environmental services uh, on a quarterly basis. Without their sign-off, we cannot continue uh, with the work that we're looking to do. Uh, so the impact locally, uh, I think, given our proximity to a very nomadic population is very minimal. But the hopes of the, com the company are to ensure that we're employing those that are with within the vicinity of our assets. Uh, we can uh, enrich their education through uh, uh, training and allow them to be an integral part of uh, the company as we start to, to grow. Similar to Step Gold, your sister company, because their workforce comprises of, I think, 99% of Mongolian nationals? That's correct. So Mongolia as a country is uh, you know, only 3% explored. 20% uh, of the GDP comes from mining. There's a lot of skilled labor in country that allows uh, the, the local population to, to really advance projects and ensure um, uh, exploration and production success, as we've shown with Step Gold. And with Ion Energy, we would hope that we would uh, train uh, local individuals, uh, contract with the local SUMs, if you will, uh, build some sort of cooperation agreement where they are providing uh, the dairy, the vegetables, and uh, everything else that's necessary for the local uh, exploration team to succeed. But beyond that, we're happy to train those uh, folks to ensure that they are able to work with us and understand their assets better um, as we start to progress. And you touched upon uh, CSR and sustainable practices within Ion Energy. Uh, a lot of what companies and organizations adhere to is down to government regulation. What are the government regulations like in Mongolia? They're fairly strict. Uh, you know, Mongolia being a, a previous uh, Soviet satellite, um, their infrastructure is vastly uh, coal driven. Uh, and they've been burning coal since the Industrial Revolution, if you will, for cooling and, and uh, power. Uh, and heating as well. But uh, we've now seen uh, the country sort of shift away from that uh, traditional view of uh, uh, an energy source being fossil fuels. Uh, this is why Ion Energy holds an 81,000 hectare license in the lithium brine space. Uh, we were granted the very largest uh, or the, the largest uh, land package uh, ever, ever provided or, or granted or licensed to a private or public company, uh, which tells you that the government is, is quite, um, uh, you know, they see this renewable uh, 
wave coming along and they're happy to, to help assist it. So uh, the government in Mongolia has been quite supportive of everything that we've done, uh, Baba Ayol being the largest land package ever granted. Uh, we also expect that uh, in, in due course that we would uh, welcome a partnership from the Mongolian government with respect to our assets and ownership and production and development. Uh, so working with the Ministry of the Environment every quarter to ensure that we have access to land, uh, I, I think speaks volumes of uh, the Mongolian government's uh, uh, appetite to ensure that uh, the environment is well looked after. Good. And with regard to supply chain audits and inequality, I mean, have you worked in any other countries other than Mongolia within the mining industries? Well, my chairman has had uh, an, a number of years of experience, including countries such as Armenia, which are, you know, generally quite polarizing. One that's had a lot of uh, geopolitical uh, uh, uprising and upsets. Uh, he's also worked in Brazil. Uh, he's worked in Portugal. He's worked in Spain. Uh, and he is uh, so, sort of my uh, sounding board, yet my mentor, but also my leader. Uh, so his access in across uh, across the na uh, across the globe, if you will, uh, has uh, allowed me to learn a fair bit. I grew up in East Africa. Uh, my father mines in Zambia. He's been mining in Zambia since 1998. Copper concentrates. So I understand the uh, sort of diplomacy yet uh, nuances of, of uh, different mining jurisdictions. Mongolia, for me, has been one that uh, I co-founded Ion Energy in, and it's one that has been uh, very supportive of our mandate and our vision, um, having met with uh, numerous members of government uh, at all levels, uh, the support that we've seen with the uh, value proposition that we've presented uh, has been uh, quite encouraging, to say the least. It's really good to hear. It's really, it's really interesting talking to you and listening to you talk about stuff that, let's face it, most people don't know much about. We, you know, we get fed newspaper articles, we get um, told stuff in the media, but um, we're all moving very much down the electric vehicle routes. I was um, talking earlier about how I've just bought an electric vehicle and I think what surprised me the most was I saw an article today where electric vehicles in comparison to internal combustion vehicles 25% of the carbon footprint over a life cycle. And I think, and that's taking into consideration the batteries that um, go into those vehicles. So I think it's gratifying and optimistic, and you become optimistic by talking to you um, about what it is that you're doing and, um, and the future as well, because you do read a lot of doom and gloom about sadly child labor, about the poor practices that go on in the mining industry. So it's, yeah, it's really gratifying to talk to you and um, learn more. Yeah, if I may, one of the sort of, you know, the child labor aspect of things, uh, we've seen the traditional battery that uses a significant amount of cobalt uh, now being phased out. Um, we've recently seen Model Ys that were produced in China using what's called a lithium ferrophosphate battery, which requires no cobalt. Cobalt has generally been associated with uh, the DRC and, and sort of that child labor aspect that you spoke of. So now we're moving away from uh, your, your typical or traditional uh, lithium-ion battery or the NMC battery, and we're moving towards an LFP battery, so the lithium ferrophosphate. If we're going to ship uh, vehicles that are Model Y made in China to Norway, where Northvolt has very recently uh, introduced uh, one of the largest uh, battery manufacturing facilities in Europe, 
it tells you that uh, you know we've recognized as a community, as a an industry, as as sort of thought leaders that we need to move away from things that are harmful uh, to not only the environment but also uh, socioeconomic uh, advancement in, in multiple jurisdictions. So this LFP battery that is now being sold in in Norway uh, using the Model Y that's made in China. Uh, has said to the world that we're not looking uh, or we're not interested in using um, uh, cobalt anymore. So cobalt is now something, in my view, uh, that th that will slowly start to dissipate and go away from the battery metals uh, industry, and we can focus more so on the LFP batteries uh, going forward. Brilliant. What are your hopes for the future for Ion? Ion is in a position that is uh, uh, quite fruitful. I think you know we started the company in 2017 uh, during a visit to Mongolia. Uh, we started to build upon a team uh, that had experience not only in Mongolia, but we've since added individuals that have had successes in, in Argentina, in Chile, in uh, Nevada with Tesla. Uh, we've added local scientists that allow us to, to really execute on the ground, irrespective of the uh, pandemic lockdowns that we've faced. Uh, we went public in August of last year uh, at a time that you know most thought we were silly to do so because most of us were working at home at the time. Uh, and since then, we've been able to, to start exploration on our flagship license. We have been able to add to our team. We've added some real industry veterans. So we've also acquired a new license. We've done maiden exploration on both our licenses, so Bavayul and Urgachnarn. And we await those results. And as a result of the pandemic, there's a bit of a, a backlog there. But uh, we're excited about the future. So we will continue to de-risk, which has always been our mandate understand our early resource indication, get to a space where we uh, are trading at a, a level uh, that, that is quite uh, reflective of, of what we believe we have, and then bring on a strategic investor that will uh, potentially allow us to go to the next step. So take on a, a toehold or, or an ultimate majority position that will uh, allow ION and uh, its assets to, to aid the Mongolian economy, the Mongolian people, uh, but more importantly, um, trade at a valuation that is uh, relative to its uh, its uh, its goal, if you will. That's great. I really do wish you all the best um, for the future with that. Um, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you, Will. Um, thanks for listening to the Green Element podcast. Join us for our post-podcast discussion in our online community at sustainabilitysolved.org.